Broadcasting from the Valley's All-American Truck Headquarters studio at PayneAutomall.com. You're listening to 710-KURV. From the Radio United Broadcast Center in McAllen, Texas, this is The Sergio Show. That's like my favorite show ever. You are the best. The Sergio Show, talking about the news headlines and topics that affect you. And now, well, here I am, sweetheart. The Sergio Show with Sergio Sanchez. Happy Friday, amigo. Hour two of the Sergio Show on what is it, Friday? What's today? It's a Friday! It's a Friday edition. There we go. Finally, officially got that out of the way. I'm Sergio Sanchez. Sergio Sanchez. This is News Talk 710KURV online, KURV.com, and also at Radio Para Mi. Download the free app today. Big thank you to South Texas Buick GMC, SouthTexasGMC.com. Big thank you as well to Lone Star National Bank for this hour of the program. If you've been paying attention to the news, you noticed the headline. I found a rather disturbing headline said that about a third of nurses in our country were considering leaving their profession after COVID-19. They're just burned out. Shelby Stoddard is a nurse practitioner. You still practicing, Shelby? You still working? I still am. I'm. Yeah. I'm not in the hospital setting, but I am in. I'm in a clinic setting. So, uh, but I love nursing. When that report came out a few days back, that one third of nurses might be leaving, they want to leave their profession like as soon as possible. Did you find that surprising? I didn't find it surprising. Um, just be, you know, it's a. It, this has been an ongoing thing for since I started as far as nursing shortage and um, talk about leaving the profession. Uh, I just feel the pandemic has kind of brought some things to light and things you can't ignore. And so nurses are looking to either get out of the hospital setting or, you know, and change, not maybe necessarily leaving nursing altogether, but looking at how and where they practice. So maybe less nurses for hospitals, then. That might be what, what might get us in trouble here pretty soon. Where do we make up yes. the deficit? Well, go, to, go back to the Philippines, hire nurses from overseas. <laughs> we have very few relationships, I think, internationally to try to bring in nurses. Yeah, that's what we, in the past, that's what we've done is um, if you needed more nurses for the hospital setting, they would get them uh, from the Philippines. Um, now I, it's that's more harder to do, and... There's colleges around the United States are starting to recognize the, the sh- issue and making um, changes as far as helping people to pay for or grant call for college, you know, courses, and then also um, getting the support that nurses need to hopefully not leave um, a huge deficit in the in yeah, the healthcare setting. But, but to say yeah, to say that one third or might be leaving like pretty soon. That's 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 staggering yeah. considering that we got more people retirement, baby boomers retiring and some Gen Xers retiring and yeah, that's that would be way too much stress. We're definitely not ready for another even a small pandemic type of scenario or a bad flu season if we're moving in this direction. I I hear you when you say that colleges are ramping up. Even even at high schools are developing more nursing programs and are here in South Texas we got UTRDV, STC, TSTC, all these colleges that are ramping up programs. But it's going to take a while, though, to get all these young folks trained up, up to speed, I think, to put them in a, in a clinical setting. We, we might be in a situation that uh, this, this deficit um, might be um, 
messing with market forces like salaries. I would imagine salaries would be going through the roof right. and inflation, and, would, right? As a result of yeah, having, inflation. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree. It's gonna it, it's a trickle down effect for sure, and and the solution is there's many. I don't, you know, there's one good solution for any situation. It's just looking at what's going on in, in, you know, the area and or the in the company and seeing how you can make a solution rather than, you know, not addressing it at all. Nurse practitioner Shelby Stoddard, we're addressing this survey that was in the news for days back. AMN, AMN Healthcare Services, eighteen thousand nurses survey. That's a pretty good sized survey. About a, almost a third said yes. that they're going to be leaving their profession in the near future. Although more than a third said that they'd stick around if there are changes made. So that is perhaps what might save us, and I don't know what changes need to happen at the hospital setting, but they say if, if things change at the hospitals, then they'll stick around. What do they want then? What, what needs to change? I think they, what they a main thing is what they want is the, um, the resources to be available, not have to, you know, ask for masks and, and gloves and, you know, basic care things, items, but then also to the, the ratio of how many patients nurses are responsible for to take care of. Um, and as patients get sicker, obviously the care is more um, in-depth and in need and just takes longer. And so having the number of people to help with that, but, you know, if you're going through a shortage, that's also hard to, to manage too. So um, maybe, you know, maybe doing more home care where people aren't as critically ill and leaving the hospitals for the more critically ill patients. Shelby, you might, well, I'll just throw you the question. You might not be the person to to answer this, but why is it that in our country we have so limited international agreements to bring in foreign nurses? It only seems that, it seems that we only have like an agreement with the Philippines. Why is it that we never set up something with competent Medical schools, like let's say in you know Mexico, south of the border, or uh, some other uh, European country, why is it that we never set that up? Do, would you know? Get a comment. Yeah, I, I, I would. I thought the same thing too. I don't, I don't know why that is. I'm sure there's a lot of politics that go into that. Um, I think that's where getting involved in your politics, your politicians locally, then also nationally, like knowing what you're voting for, who you're voting for, um, and then also bringing those issues up if you. If your leader doesn't doesn't um, address those, bringing it to their attention. Yeah. Shelby, are you happy in, in what you're doing? Are you going to stick around as a nurse practitioner? Oh yeah. So I'll this is, will be my I'll be a nurse practitioner until I'll be in the nursing profession until yeah. I'm done. <laughs> it's that you're at a family yeah. clinic, more in a family setting instead of a hospital setting, right? You're the, the stress. Yeah. The stress is different. And what you do the stress is different um, I've worked in many settings in hospital emergency room um, being you know in the past and and even then before a pandemic it can be very stressful and you know you get burnout so I think in a time of pandemic it just heightens that even yeah. more it takes a very special person to be a nurse and care for another human being because there's body fluids involved, <laughs> all sorts of, <laughs> you know, taking needles and pricking people. You know, it's just medicines and and work schedules mm-hmm. that are insane. Um, and lives depend on you for 12 hours a day. Doesn't matter how tired you are, you got to take care of these and and love on these human beings. It just takes a a very special person. And of all these folks who who are nurses and participated in that AMN Healthcare Service survey. 
I don't know. It's like, what else are you going to do for a living? <laughs> I mean, you're one of the, <laughs> right? Like, seriously. Yeah, you leave what that, else do you do? It's in your soul. <laughs> I, I don't know. All right. Shelby, it's a pleasure. Be safe. Okay. Hey, I, I appreciate your time today. Nurse practitioner, you Shelby Stoddard. This is the Sergio Show. Checking your health and checking all those consumer products, stuff you have in the kitchen, stuff that you have in the bathroom as well. So University of California, Berkeley, along with a group called Silent Spring Institute, they say they ran some studies, ran some numbers, and they say that everything from certain shampoos and chemicals that you use on a regular basis may be creating clouds of, for example, formaldehyde inside your home. The air might become carcinogen in some cases. Uh, let me bring in someone who's watching that report, and I'm guessing Christine uh, makes a living of this. One of her websites is heavymetalpoisoncenter.com. What an ominous name. Christine Padovan is my guest. Uh, t- tell me a little bit more about what you do and how you monitor, like, say, consumer products and other issues that, that we're exposed to on a regular basis that might be a problem uh, down the road. Well, basically, um, <clears throat> Sergio, products and and get st- they get tested periodically, and as we as we're getting older and smarter, hopefully we're getting smarter in our in our older age, we we take a look at some of those chemicals and the products and say, okay, um, looks like this has been over time causes nerve issues and and other 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 problems. And an example of that is my relatives in Italy. Uh, uncle and aunt owned a paint shop and. Um, perfectly healthy people, and then 20, 30 years later end up um, with nerve issues and other problems. Only people in the family, and they all attributed it from breathing in, day in, day out, the the paint fumes. That is a concentrated daily exposure of fumes, your family mm-hmm. members, as an example. Right. Versus... Right. But, but, it, right. It pertain, but it still pertains to um, <clears throat> what they're finding with regular products that we're using like Lysol and Clorox products that um, mm-hmm. many people use you know, on a consistent basis and, um, and then noticing these uh, health issues down the road. So it's, it's been a long-term study. So this is not just something that they, they're just pulling out of the air. There's no reason to be throwing away Lysol, no reason to be throwing away Clorox no. or anything like that. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty common sense that if, let's say you're you're cleaning for a living, right? That's that's what you do, clean offices mm-hmm. or, and you're cleaning right. other properties. If Man, if you're breathing in highly concentrated uh, fumes of, of chlorine, uh, ammonia, or even some of these cleaners, it makes sense that over time, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're kicking um, those, those lung cells of yours. You're kicking their butt on a daily basis. At, at some point, you're going to have an issue down the road. I, I think most of this is just common sense. There's really no reason to be throwing away, like, nail polish no. or shampoo or anything like that. Right. So basically, now we know, and we've been studying this since 1970, and it's what I, I've been teaching people, especially with um, having something that's a natural element also for viral protection, such as COVID, is as we get older, we don't make as much glutathione in the body and taking a regular supplement of glutathione helps keep those toxins moving out of that you know out of out of us and i know this because i was intentionally poisoned so i know having to have to detoxify and reverse all those allergies and illnesses that 
glutathione actually is a natural protectant of the body. So people that are in jobs such as cleaning services and manufacturing, actually every single person on the planet can protect themselves by taking uh, glutathione. Hmm. And can you find it just you know, at the regular pharmacy, this glutathione? Yeah, GNC, okay. yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, GNC and those vitamin shops and, of course, you know, of course, Ma- Amazon uh, sells now uh, vitamin supplements such as glutathione, and uh, we help, you know, recommend, you know, different brands to people just to to make sure people are not mm-hmm. getting uh, gypped or having to pay more money than they need to. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's food such as cilantro and bay leaf water um, mm-hmm. that are high in glutathione as well. Avocados, too, uh, that help to keep toxins oh, well, there you go. out of the body. More tacos, people. More tacos with... With cilantro, <laughs> more tacos with some avocado on it. There you go. It can cleanse your body of some of those chemicals you're breathing in on a regular basis, that's right. especially if uh, you're in the cleaning industry. Well, that that's this is the first I hear of uh, glutathione. I was not aware of its uh, cleansing properties inside the blood. Yeah, may, yeah, exactly. Mainstream doesn't want to talk about stuff. They have a lot of big pharma <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, sponsors. Right. So, um, yeah, you don't you don't hear a lot of it. But, yes, that's what I do teach on okay. my Rumble channel. Christine, I appreciate your time today. You be safe. We'll go again. From uh, one of our sites yeah. is heavymetalpoisoncenter.com. That's Christine Potovan. This is The Sergio Show. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. American Principles Project GOP strategist Terry Schelling joining me. Let me go to the big story of the day, brother. Ron DeSantis making his big announcement first on Twitter with Elon Musk, and then I think he goes over to Fox to talk about this. You expect the massive chasm, the big difference between Donald Trump polling numbers and... Ron DeSantis polling numbers far behind at number two. Do you expect that to tighten after he announces? I, I think so. I think it's going to be an interesting primary. Uh, I, I think that, you know, I, there's probably been some uncertainty about uh, Ron DeSantis' running that's kept him from getting as much support. But, look, I think it's going to be really interesting, and I think that we can expect the numbers to change once he gets in officially. What would you say is the path to victory for Ron DeSantis? We know that Donald Trump is solid. Everybody loves him. There's so much support for him. Lord knows if he's the nominee, man, I'll vote for him. We'll push all, we're going to all row in the same direction. That's great. But we got to clear the primary. And there's a lot of territory between here and the GOP convention. What would be the path for victory? What What does Ron DeSantis need to say or not say in order to defeat Donald Trump? You willing to go there? Yeah, well, I feel, look, I think that if if Ron DeSantis is going to be successful, he basically has to brand himself as 
the guy that took on the swamp and actually won, right? I think that that's where um, Donald Trump is weakest is that the swamp, you know, really screwed him over and they really kept him from being able to enact his agenda in Washington, D.C. And what Ron DeSantis can do is he can say, look, I made Florida a, a redder state. I, I had all these accomplishments. I, I fired these district attorneys. That He's going to have to come across as a more effective version of Donald Trump in order to win. Yeah. And I would argue that to date he has already. This dude knows how to take on the media. He knows how to wrestle them to the ground. He doesn't take any lip from these people, just like Donald Trump. And on policy, he's very, very similar on almost everything. Very America first. It's like it's like getting Donald Trump a younger version, but you don't get uh, Donald Trump's belligerence and, and his lip and his attitude. <laughs> yeah, and you know, that was that, that's, that's the big thing, right? Um, and I Look, I'll tell you, I think that there are a lot of voters who actually are attracted to Trump's, and, and they're mostly in our party. They're not like the, the swing voters. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of these voters that actually kind of like his brash style and, and him kind of being irreverent. Um, so, it, look, this is going to be a really interesting primary, but there's very little daylight uh, between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis in yeah. terms of what their policy goals are. Um, so voters are going to have to make you know, a decision. Do they want to give Donald Trump another shot uh, to take on the swamp, or do they want to change things up and go with a guy that got some big accomplishments in another swamp? What does it say? Oh, by the way, my guest right now. Uh, conservative American Principles Project Executive Director Terry Schilling, a GOP strategist as well. What does it say that some of the polling data out there right now, some say that Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump right now. Okay, I, I, that's fine. I, it just doesn't say much to me as far as the level of intelligence by some people answering the polls. Uh, another poll recently said Donald Trump's up by seven points over Joe Biden if the election were held today. Focusing on that one, what does it say to you by, I would argue, more informed, enlightened individuals of what's taking place in the economy, on the border, everywhere else? What does it say to you how bad conditions are right now for Joe Biden that Donald Trump might beat him if the election were held today? Yeah, it's really an indictment. I mean, you think about how rare uh, what what's about to happen in 2024 is Donald Trump won a bunch of Hillary Clinton voters over and won the country. Then they got him unelected, so they changed their minds about that. And now we're asking them to change their minds again, right? That's, it's very difficult to get someone to change their mind one time, but to do it to go back to their original position, that's, that's very difficult to pull off. But that's the big question here. Ron DeSantis is starting his, officially starting with more money in the bank. Where do you think the money goes from this point on? You know, does it move more in his direction? Because it seems that some of the fundraisers, uh, you know, they're turning away from Donald Trump. Do you think Ron DeSantis will have, in the end, more money, always have more money to run versus Donald Trump? Yeah, I think that they're, I think that the donor class is firmly behind uh, Ron DeSantis here. And I, you know, we'll see. I think Donald Trump's going to rely a lot more on small dollar donations to fund his campaign. Yeah. And do the Donald Trump uh, disciples, the hardcore Donald Trumpers, do they show up to vote in a general election in November 24 if he's not on the ticket? I think so. And, and here's why. Because Donald Trump has every bit of interest if he doesn't come up, which I, I think he's still the favorite here. Uh, but if he doesn't 
win the nomination, he wants a Republican president that's going to help pardon him from all of the uh, unfair treatment from these these progressive woke DAs that are coming after him. I mean, he needs an ally in that White House, and so Donald Trump's going to get on board uh, with whoever the nominee is. All right. So you think that will temper some of his attacks? Some of his language against Ron DeSantis saying, hey, this guy might be in the White House, might be giving me a pardon. Or is he just going to be the, you know, the bull in the China shop, just tear up everything uh, before the primary? Yeah, I think he'll go with the bull in the China shop. <laughs> I, just because, you know, I, I just know who he is and, you know, be against his style to do it any other way. But also, you know, you just after the primary, everyone's willing to make amends, right? Like you just want to repair things, kiss and make up and, you know, move on. And so that that's what it'll be like. It it will be very really tough and, and rough know, uh, in this yeah. primary. I don't know about the, I was there at the 16th convention when Cruz didn't forgive anything against Donald Trump. You know how nasty it got, and it's gonna it's gonna go in the gutter. I'm expecting this to go into the gutter, but each other's wives, all that stuff, just like back in 16. And yeah, there there was well, there yeah. They're asking Tim Scott about, about his virginity, right? I mean, this is like this is already devolved into something crazy. Oh my god! All right, T, take care of your beautiful family, brother. I, I enjoy your post online. Hey, Terry. thank you. All right, I my appreciate friend. It, <laughs> From American Principles Project, Terry Schilling. This is the Sergio Show. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Drama continues up in D.C., the national debt ceiling and all the chicken littles saying that this everything's going to come to an end on June 1st if we don't raise the debt ceiling. But they all refuse to cut, almost all refuse to cut any type of spending up in D.C. What an, just an awful culture we have in our country and worldwide for that matter. Do you think... You know, it's bad here. You should see the ratio of debt to GDP in, in other countries. From America First Policy Institute, Chief Economist Michael Falkender. I, man, I love speaking with you, Mike. I learn something new every time I speak with you. The other day I was commenting on this national debt thing that we have had for our entire life. And probably your life as well. You've seen nothing but awful headlines related to this national debt. Every year we run a deficit, deficit spending, national debt, $33 trillion plus and, and growing. Man, it's the poison pill, Mike. It, it, it's the poison pill coursing through our national veins, eroding our national treasure, threatening our defensive capability, threatening all these entitlements that we've obligated ourselves to. Man, it's a house of cards, brother. And I hope and pray that we turn things around. We can if, if we commit ourselves as a nation. But I don't know, brother. I, I think that this is... This is what ends Western society and brings in a whole new world order, an international government that we have to bow to because we never learn how to, how to save money and live within our means. Are you, are you as pessimistic as I am when it comes to all this debt spending in our country? 
to a great extent, yes, unfortunately, because I have been in the city long enough and seen that there is an unwillingness to come to grips with the fiscal challenges that face us and an unwillingness to live within our means. You know, if you give your average politician a choice between raising taxes, lowering spending, and borrowing against the next generation, they pick borrowing against the next generation every time. Now, I'm in no way advocating that we raise taxes. We don't have a revenue problem in this country. We have a spending yep, yep, problem. Yep, 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 yep. Last, last year's revenues is a percentage of national output with their third highest on record. We don't have a revenue problem. But we've got a set of people right now who run the White House, used to run the, the, the Congress, who think that we can just go send a bunch of money to anything and everything, not only here in the U.S., but around the world, and not have to raise the money to fund it. And so let's pay people to not work. Let's let's move away from reliable, low-cost sources of energy and replace it with windmills from China that aren't actually going to make a difference when it comes to global temperatures. Let's tell people who borrowed money to get useless sociology degrees and are now baristas <laughs> at Starbucks that they don't have to pay that money back. You know, I mean, how much do we really need to subsidize sloth and tell people that they don't have to work? Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, man. I, you know what? We have a real bad habit, whether it's Iraq or some other place that, you know, we liberate, um, could be Ukraine and all the help we're giving them. We never tie that money. We never bond that money to victory and say, okay, muchachos, we're going to give you, you know, some national treasure, but you need to help out our kids and our grandkids. We expect you to give us, you know, some resources in the future and work with us to get it at a, a, a good price, or maybe you can pay us back little by little. We never do. We just go in there and just splurge and spend all our grandkids and great grandkids' money and just indebt us even more and throw us deeper into deficit spending. Michael Falkender with America First Policy Institute. Part of the reason I think that we have no hope of turning this thing around is, you know, it's bad enough balancing a household budget, Mike, like a man and a woman agreeing on we're going to spend money this way. You know, the fights, usually they say that money issues are the big reason for divorce. It's, it's hard enough to get two people to agree on budget issues. We're trying to run all the all the money issues by committee, and then committees that change hands and change philosophy from time to time. How many more years do we have before this house of cards crumbles down on us? Do you think uh, we could be facing a lot of difficulty within the next decade? You know, because with the baby boomers in their peak retirement years, we've got a lot of pressure on the fiscal situation here in the United States to address the promises that have been made to mm -hmm. those folks, mm -hmm. and not enough money has been set aside to provide for it. But instead of shoring up those programs, what the, you know, the liberals in Congress and the administration have been doing is spending ever more money trying to create ever more programs and reasons for people to not work and become more dependent. You know, I mean, it seems like the philosophy is that, we're, that if government you know, takes care of you from the time you're born until the time you die, you'll just be dependent upon them and you'll keep voting for them. That yeah. seems to be the political philosophy. And nowhere is there thought of, how do we pay for this? How is this feasible? How, how can we sustain this? And yet that question seems totally absent. And so they convince themselves, oh, well, we'll just have modern monetary theory where we can print as much money as we want without consequence and then be shocked, shocked when we have inflation hit 9%. We have the capacity as a nation to turn things around, Mike. I, I mean, and I, I know that the majority of Americans know what is right and know what is wrong on the money side. Heck, there was a little 
survey this week. What was it, like 6 in 10? At least 6 in 10 said? Correct, yes. Right? And, and notice who it came from. It came from CNN. Even <laughs> CNN is saying that when we ask the American people, 60% say, if we're 6 in 10, if we're going to raise the debt ceiling, spending cuts should yeah. be included as part of it. Yeah. And yet... And yet the Democrats in the administration are siding with the 24% in that poll who want to just, you know, keep the status quo, just raise the credit card limit, no discipline at all on our spending. Yeah, and if you discount how weighted, more than likely super weighted to the left the CNN poll is, the number's probably closer to like three out of four, maybe eight out of ten Americans know that we need to cut spending if we're going to be raising the debt, so we, we need some type of fiscal financial responsibility on the financial responsibility. It doesn't say much that, for example, uh, and I was doing the math on this. So we got 33, 34, somewhat trillion national debt, about 250,000 per person. And we're $17 trillion on consumer debt. <laughs> which You divide that, that's half. That's like 125,000 per, per person. Uh, we, we have a, a, it's good to spend. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I believe in the market. We have a, market economy is wonderful. It's competition-based. It gives all these wonderful things. But we have to discipline. Do you think, just shooting spitballs here, do you think there might be something that could scare us straight as a nation and say, okay, from kindergarten onward, we're going to begin a new curriculum of savings and financial responsibility and spending within our means. And maybe maybe those little babies, 40, 60 years down, maybe they can save us after we get scared straight by something. You know, I, I've been a finance professor for 20 years, and I would love to think that financial education would solve this, but unfortunately, I think it's going to take a financial crisis where the bond market all of a sudden figures out that the only way the federal government's going to repay all of this debt is by printing a bunch of funny money, and they're going to, the bond issuance is going to fail or it's going to have an interest rate that skyrockets and that's what's going to scare congress and finally get us to live within our means but unfortunately that's going to be an ugly day if we cannot get responsible leaders in washington who have had notice on this for decades and finally get our get our budget in line this is not on the radar for voters it hasn't been for the longest time that's what's real scary people are not waking up it's only a very small minority in media and politics talking about this it would it would take something to scare us straight, but by that time it right. it might be too late. Michael, thank you as always uh, for your commentary. Great to be with you with uh, America First Policy Institute Chief Economist Michael Falkender. This is the Sergio Show. He's a marketing pro, talent agency pro, co-founder, chief marketing pro at Team CMO Elijah May. I'm bringing him in to talk about corporate America getting a. A wake-up call from customers. They don't mess with the brand, don't mess with the customer base. Well, what is all this woke stuff that you're doing? Let's start with Bud Light, Elijah, that was in the news this week. They're going back to America, wag, uh, flag-waving and patriotism. They're trying to save Bud Light on this week. The, they were in the news having to cut checks to all these wholesalers that are sitting on expired Bud Light beer. Man, I think that this is an example of corporate America having to be a bit bit more careful who they give the marketing reins to, new generation that they hire that might not be as in touch with a more traditional customer base as is, for example, Budweiser. Certainly. You know, I will say on, on, we work with a lot of CMOs, and our job is, as chief marketing officers 
is to always try to find new customers. And sometimes we get that right, and sometimes we get that wrong. $5 billion-plus mistake for Bud Light. You know if that marketing person that moved the company in that direction online, with all those eyeballs online, boy, that thing took off like crazy. You know that marketing person still working over at Bud? They are not. Two executives are out. So what's the message to glean from this for the rest of corporate America? I would say it's know your customer, know who you're selling to. Absolutely. I mean, you certainly know who your fans are. They should know who their customers are. You've got to make sure that you know if you're trying to talk to someone else, keep in mind your customers are are paying attention too. Yeah, the CEO over at Budweiser was out in the news talking to the investors, the stock owners, saying, well, we made a mistake. It was a small thing. It wasn't supposed to be this big, but... In this new social media world that we're in, it is unforgiving. Once something takes off, goes viral, <laughs> there's no way to bring it back. <laughs> this this thing that they're trying to do at Budweiser, you know, go patriotic and flag waving, and probably I don't know, maybe they'll throw some real women out there with bikinis now. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to go patriotism just in time for the Fourth of July. You think it's enough to turn their ship away from the iceberg that they just hit? My opinion is they're going to have to come up with something more substantial than. Uh a couple of empty gestures. I think they're going to have to find a way to talk about something that we can all kind of get behind. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, I know, pal. Well, my next question for you was going to be, if you got the phone call from Budweiser being a marketing pro, how do you wrestle this thing to the ground? What would you do to turn things around to to save face and start making money again? Yeah, I think that something that that pretty much all Americans can agree on is that what makes us great is these kind of core ideas of the you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave. If it were me, I would focus on that. And I would focus on something that is inclusive, but bigger than this topic about gender identity. It's about who we are as Americans. And sometimes we take risks and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. And that's what makes us great. That's what I would talk about. Eliza May is a marketing pro with Team CMO. What is Team CMO? I didn't ask you that at the beginning. Eliza, what is that? We, you know, we help CMOs. It's the the highest turnover in the C-suite. We get fired a lot. Uh, sometimes quit. Uh, we try to help CMOs make sure they're either successful in the yeah. job they've got or, or find that next one. All right. The marketing chiefs, the marketing officers for corporations. The other big story in the news is Target. Target. Now, Target, for years now, they've been doing the LGBTQ plus, um, the, the alphabet and the thing. At prominently at the store, you walk in and you see the Pride Month display. And many other corporations doing the same thing. They changed to a rainbow color for their logo. Thing is, with Target, they may have crossed over and really pissed off a lot of people. It's just one of two things. Now, Target today has not said what product in their LGBTQ line they're pulling. There's got to be one of two things. It's either tuck the bikini portion available that they put that space down there for the bikinis to be trans if they wanted to, or it's the partnership with a Satanist and pins to say, you know, Satan respects pronouns. It's either one of those two things, but man, they got a backlash and targets in the news today during a 180 saying, yeah, we're going to pull all this stuff that people are complaining and screaming at the stores. Do you think this is going to hurt targets bottom line? I only heard about the, you know, the bikinis, I didn't hear about the other thing, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, but yesterday the, the CEO went on and said, you know, well, capitalism is good for us. I think the bottom line is, you know, his job is to sell more stuff. And if there's people who want to buy stuff, you're always trying to figure out how to make sure that's on your shelves. Last I heard, you may have new information. They were moving that stuff to make it, you know, less, less obvious 
Um, at the entrance. I didn't know if they committed to pulling it yet. Yeah. 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 That's They're pulling something. Yeah. I heard that report that you mentioned where they're making it less prominent at the entrance. But, yeah, they're pulling something out there. I'm wondering if maybe it's the Satanist thing. You know what? I, when I was reading this thing, I don't know how they get more sales out of this. I, I, I recall, man, what was it, like f- six, five, six years ago when they had that the transgender thing at their bathrooms and say, yeah, we're going to support the trans community. They, men can go into women's bathrooms. Oh, my goodness, the pushback there. If I remember correctly, one of their chief financial guys, or maybe even the CEO, lost his job as a result because they lost billions of dollars in valuation during that time as well. I'm thinking maybe Target is preemptively trying to prevent that hemorrhage with all these negative headlines. Look, anything that makes a mom feel like this is not a safe place for her or her kids, uh, is going to be a huge problem for Target. That's just basic economics. I think marketers are going to try to push the boundaries in terms of finding new market segments. Yeah. But um, if, just like with Bud Light, if you don't understand and protect your core segment, you're going to have big financial problems. Yeah. Going to take uh, some real genius to make a lot of money in the marketing and try to negotiate uh, the new media, the new brave new social world and tradition as well. Elijah, it's a pleasure. We wish you the best. Likewise. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, sir. From Team CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, that's Eliza May. This is The Sergio Show. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Peptides are life. Lauriston Crockett is my guest. We're talking about your body and aging, your health. What are peptides, buddy? You know, a peptide is a long and short chain amino acid, and we have to think, well, why is that important to me? Well, the average human being has 37.2 trillion cells, and every cell in the body has a peptide. We communicate, we rejuvenate through peptides. That's the name of his book, by the way, Peptides or Life. Larston Crockett is my guest. So stress, they say stress will definitely age you. A pregnancy, a surgery, man, that'll make you old really, really quick. Uh, well, is there any way to reverse any, you know, any aging or signs of aging or biological aging as a result of you know, something bad happening to you or maybe something stressful like things I just mentioned? Well, yeah, it, there really is, and it's a lot simpler than you think. But we have to ask the question, first of all, why does stress ages? Because they say that stress is a killer, right? Well, stress creates something called a reactive oxygen species, or OS, and that's basically a chemically reactive molecule that can damage DNA and proteins, which leads to genetic damage, which leads to you know, hampering our immune system and our cardiovascular system and leads to other health issues. So we have to think that stress actually starts at the cellular level and then leads up to other chronic issues like, you know, heart issues and blood sugar issues and insomnia. We're not getting enough sleep. 50% of of Americans actually suffer from insomnia. So, yes, 
is there something we can do? It's a lot simpler than you think. Well, hopefully you can do it for your health sake, man, because once your once your beard and your hair, if you have hair, it starts going great, man, you talk about something you can't reverse unless you put some dye on it. <laughs> Well, there's actually a copper copper peptides that can actually bring color back to your hair. But let's talk about really what we need to do on a daily basis that can actually reverse this effect and actually increase longevity. And what we have to do is we have to start burning right. up that cortisol and that stress hormone in our body. And it's very simple. We just need to exercise. Now, let's say, oh, God, Crockett, we've got to go exercise. Well, exercise actually releases a peptide hormone called an endorphin, makes us feel good. But exercise doesn't mean you have to be in the gym. It means that you can actually just go for a walk. You need to disconnect from these cell phones that cause stress. Yes, sir. Put down these yes, stimulant energy drinks that are causing health issues, yeah. uh, even anxiety. That's, that's another problem we're having, and heart issues, too. So by exercising, listening to music, talking with friends, you know, you just need to disconnect, and the body will actually go back into uh, a mode that will start repairing itself. It's amazing. Yeah. No, just the putting down the cell phone and, I don't know, cleaning out your garage or your closet, doing some basic, but putting down the cell phone, imagine all the anger that just wells up in, within everybody when you, know, you see all these stories of social media, all these comments of the collapse of Western society, the, the communities, well, all, all these neg all the negative news. Yeah, boy, that'll make you angry all day long, yeah. And these devices were created to be addictive. Um, we actually did a study that if you take a cell phone away from somebody, they're going to have a spike in their cortisol level. Now, if you put that phone away that they can't get to it and they hear people texting them or the phone's ringing, it's actually going to spike even more. And only until the phone was brought back to in their possession did the cortisol levels actually start decreasing. So this is another reason why I'm saying put the phone down, spend some time on yourself, start learning how to live um, without this cell phone all the time. Nice. Because you know, we're doing this right before we go to sleep. We're not being able to slip into our sleep mode. So, yeah. you know, just invest in yourself. Get back to who we used to be. Take a walk. You know, enjoy all the things that nature gives us and God gives us. Go talk to your friends. Have a great time. By doing this, these simple little things, you can actually reverse the harm that's been done by stress and start rejuvenating on a cellular yes. level and have a longer, healthier life. Put down that damn cell phone. Put it on the other side of the room. Turn off all the notices on it. Yeah. Decrease your stress level big time. He's author of Peptides or Life. Lauriston Crockett is my guest. On the diet side, like what do you eat? Any supplements, any food that you uh, you like to take in that uh, helps you as well? Try to turn turn everything around, the whole aging thing. Well, you know, they call me a health expert, right? And I'm a master trainer. But as far as supplements concerned, well, yeah, I have a very strong opinion about that, and it's in my book, um, Peptides for Life, and love to give my book away for free today. Just go to genostim.com, G-E-N-O-S-T-I-M.com, and you can learn vitamins everyone's taking are basically made from byproducts of petroleum. They do mm -hmm. nothing for your health and actually harm you. Uh, they're not regulated. They're mostly imported from China, so we don't really know what we're taking. Compared to... Peptides, remember, every cell in your body has a peptide. There's 40 peptide hormones. Peptides can increase your lifespan between 10 to 30%. So as far as supplementation, the only thing I've ever taken in my life are, are peptides. And this is an ingestible that you can take. I'm a 64-year-old father. I do 6,000 reps a week. 
I've got a brand new baby boy who's seven and a half months old. You know, I'm still living the life. I have a 12 year old. Life is good, not aging at the same rate. I exercise. I eat just a normal diet. Most people are not vitamin deficient. This is just something that they've been told by the industry to sell products. So again, just eat a normal diet. Get out and take a walk. Um, this is basically all you really need to do. The rest was going to take care of itself. But again, also, please put down those energy drinks. They are dangerous. They are Hello. absolutely horrible yep. for you. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I... Those those things don't do. I I don't drink that. Um, I, I'll admit I tried them a long time ago. They didn't work on me. All those claims of caffeine and energy. I didn't feel any different <laughs> before and after that. Screw this. I'm not going to waste money on this stuff anymore. Well, no, it actually causes anxiety, which releases cortisol, and it also can cause uh, heart issues. When when you were telling me peptides, you know what popped into my head? Milk, milk, eggs. Um, anything else that's uh, just like regular food that's rich in the uh, in peptides? Well, you you said eggs. You know, eggs are absolutely a superfood. They're full of proteins. They're full of actually natural vitamins that can be assimilated and minerals in the body. Let me look. So I I absolutely do eat eggs every day. Liver is another very nutritious mm, uh, superfood. Yet has yeah. all the major nutrients that you need in there. Wow. So you know, I like to eat liver. Um, I like to eat a balanced diet. Uh, am I fanatic about it? No, I'm not. But And I don't think anybody else needs to either and enjoy your life. But, you know, just do things. <laughs> and if you take the center path in your health, let me tell you something, your body's going to take care of itself. But, again, you do need to get some exercise going. Get those endorphins flowing. Start feeling good. And every day you'd walk a mile, guess what, within 30 days, you're not going to believe how you look and how you feel. But please don't take the phone with you. Don't take anything. Invest yep, yep. in yourself. I like that. That's the best advice. Yeah, put that darn phone down. I know we've got our app. We've got our website. Just take a break, people. Just think on the inside. Pray. You know, walk. Just clear your mind. It's good. That's the best advice all day. Hey, real quick, before I let you go again, tell me the website for the free book, Peptides of Life. Yeah, to get the free book, you just go to genostem.com. That's G-E-N-O-S-T-I-M.com. You can download my book for free. It's got a five-star rating on Amazon, right. but we're going to give it to you for free. And you might find some things in it that are life-changing. Thank you, Lauriston. You be safe, brother. Hey, have a great day. Lauriston Crockett, his book, Peptides Are Life. This is The Sergio Show.